Resurface is a podcast presented to you by me, your host, Emily Utrup. In each episode, I'll talk to athletes and industry leaders who have faced adversity. And through shared vulnerability, I'll explore the mental and emotional challenges they have faced and discover the strategies they have used to not only bounce back, but to come back stronger than ever. I want to motivate and inspire you to show your vulnerability, acknowledge your fears, and to follow your dreams. Good to see you too. It's been a while. I'm so so excited. You're rocking these days, huh? Oh, you too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's been a good journey since the last time we talked. I think it's uh, yeah, a lot of things have happened, and yeah, just like slowly trying to find my path and what way I want to go, and yeah, it's it's exciting. It's cool. Uh, are you still living in Portugal? Yeah, so I'm still yeah. based out of Ericeira, but like been traveling a lot. I still go to Denmark quite a lot, and and you, you are in Oslo, yeah. Yeah, I was actually on a surf trip in Norway like a few weeks ago. Yeah, I saw that. It looked amazing. Mm-hmm. Did you have good surf? It, yeah, like we didn't get the best waves, but we kind of knew like May, it's, you know, it's not, it's not the really best season. Time. But right. well, we got like one good day in Jern, got yeah. in border. Yeah. And we just explored like the whole southwest coast because I have a really good friend who lives in Lista um so yeah that was that was really cool i i loved it i just love norway it's and it was like the weather was so nice and yeah it was just really nice yeah. so what's your thing um, now amelia i just always had this passion that i was like i wanted to share other people's stories as well so i started this podcast was like a little passion project um and yeah and it's just been really nice uh, also for me to kind of uh, practice my interviewing and listening and you know, when I started, I was like, okay, I really want Karina to be on here because, yeah. Um, yeah, because I don't know if you listened to the first episode, but I'm actually talking about you and how much you inspired me. Because when we, I think when we met in Portugal, is that like five years ago, I think, four or five years ago? I know, it's ago. been a long time. Yeah. And yeah, you were like the first person who told me that, oh, you have an amazing story and you should also like, try to speak up about it and since then I was just like okay and then I think I listened probably to your TED talk like 30 times or more no <laughs> way. I really, really, yeah I really love it and it just inspired me <laughs> oh, thank you yeah. you know it no. makes me really happy to hear that yeah. and yeah. I had no idea that I was like that you haven't you hadn't been heard that or I had you hadn't been told that before that your story was inspiring but I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that I told you because it really is it truly is yeah. and and I've listened to your TED talk and you've done such an amazing job and just the way that you've evolved and and kind of moved yourself it's uh it's really inspiring ever since yeah it's just been 5 years uh yeah. in in a way 5 years feels like a long time but now seeing where you've actually taken yourself it feels like it's not a long time 
So yeah, you should really pat yourself on the shoulder for that. So oh, I'm super happy you. to have been a contributor. I mean, you've definitely been proud. a huge contributor since uh, that day we were surfing in Foss and we had lunch and we had a talk about it. And yeah, that that would always like be very in my memory. And and I remember that's when I went home and I saw your TED talk and I was like, one day I want to give a TED talk too. Yeah. <laughs> and you did, and you did, and, and I did, um, yeah. Oh, that's so, so uh, cool. Well, that's so yeah. funny, you know, about life, the little twists and turns and the, you know, circumstances and s suddenly just like that, a little meeting, a little surf session and a lunch just kind of changes your trajectory just like this. It's cool. I know. Yeah, it's so amazing. So that's when I was, when I started this, I was like, yeah, Karina definitely is like on top of my list of someone I need because I want my audience and my followers to hear your story <laughs> because I think, you know, a lot of people can, can find inspiration in it. I would love to, you know, dig into your story of you were a Red Bull athlete, you were a free skier, base jumper. So I think where I would like to start is how did the journey of Karina Holikim start with like, these extreme sports and how did you end up getting into that hmm oh it's a good question I think I was kind of born into it in many ways because uh, both my dad and my mom they were like passionate about the nature uh, they were in the mountains skiing rock climbing doing everything you know that at least especially my dad that could give him a little sense of excitement you know in his everyday life Um, and somehow I think for him, it was important to, you know, having a little daughter shouldn't prevent him from doing what he loved. And then a lot of times, um, he obviously went on trips uh, by himself, uh, but also it was natural for them to bring me. Uh, so I can even remember, you know, like the first time that I was actually in the, the climbing wall. I was dangling on the back of my dad's, you know, 20, 25 meters off the ground in a backpack that he had just taken. He found a backpack uh, up on the attic and he brought it down. He took a scissor and cut two little holes in the bottom of the backpack and put me inside of it with one leg sticking out of each hole. And then he closed it neatly up top. So just my head was poking out. And then off we went, you know, to the climbing wall. And so there I was together with my dad climbing and just dangling on the back of his, you know, backpack. And I, I know that he's been telling me that he remembered that I was scared and that I was nervous and that I told him that I was scared. And he just told me strictly to look up. And he told me that he remembered like a little yank in the backpack. And that was me two-year-old just looking straight up because I was so afraid and so this was kind of his very simple mentality but it was a very effective mentality because my dad's always been very you know focused on what to do you know what to focus on uh, to give you the energy that you need instead of focusing on your fears so I think I've been kind of born into this lifestyle and this passion And since I lost my mom, I didn't lose her. Uh, she didn't die, but I kind of lost her from being my mom in my everyday life, uh, uh, having a car accident when I was four years old. My mom was severely injured. Um, she got in a coma for four months and 
you know, when she woke up from that coma, she had sustained a severe head injury. She was paralyzed in her entire right side and she had lost all memory. So coming back to to see her and to visit her in the hospital after her accident, I realized that she didn't know who I was. So she basically had to learn everything from scratch. I mean, learning how to speak again, uh, learning who I was, that I was her daughter, that she had a daughter, uh, learning how to walk again, learning everything from scratch. And so I've witnessed her and her fight to come back to her life. That's been my childhood. And so basically I grew up with my dad and my dad only. And since my dad was so passionate about the mountains and about nature, I very quickly realized and understood that the mountains, this was his language. This was his, his love language. So if I could speak the same language that he did, if I could prove myself in the mountains, then he would see me, he would acknowledge me, and he would show his passion for me. And so, you know, when you're a little kid and you only have one parent present, you're going to do everything in your power to make him see you, make him acknowledge you. And so that kind of became our language, the way that we communicated together. And so I think that I just learned to love the nature and the mountains and everything that had to do about pushing boundaries and you know, feeling small in those massive surroundings. That's a, a crazy story, <laughs> like um, how you grew up and, of course, also tragic. Um, you know, you also see where some of your resilience and your mental strength come from. Well, and, it is uh, tragic. I mean, obviously, I'm sorry I'm interrupting you, but I, 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 yeah, no. I just want to say it is tragic for, for my mom, 100%, for sure. But, I mean, for me, I I wouldn't know any different you know so we learn to adapt uh, to the circumstances and how they are and we make the best out of the situation that we have and I think that I learned one very important lesson uh, from my mom and I learned how quickly a life could get turned upside down you know so I realized the power of the presence and the power of of just being and enjoying what we have here and now because you never know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. So you never know in an instant. It can be, all be taken away from you. Because I had witnessed that. I had seen that, you know, at first hand in my yeah. mom. And so I think that I really, as soon as I got old enough, I learned to live by that. And she was my example. She was my role model. And I just had to learn how to appreciate what we have and make the best out of what we do have. Yeah, but that's amazing how you managed to turn it into, you know, a positive uh, thing. And so from there, when when did you start uh, getting into, you know, the, the base jumping and the free skiing and kind of taking that professional path? Well, I think that, you know, coming from this background, um, it became really important for me somehow to feel independent, I think. I wanted somehow to feel free. I wanted to... I, w- I wanted strong emotions. I wanted to be on a roller coaster of emotions. I wanted to, you know, t- 
take in every aspect of life somehow. And this was kind of a passion and a drive for me, even from when I was a little girl. And I, I remember being super fascinated by cliffs and mountaintops. And if I could stand on any kind of edge, you know, just a close to the edge, I always had this urge, you know, that I wanted to know how it would feel to just take the leap and get over that edge. What does it feel like? And I was so fascinated by the birds and their ability to just glide around in the air and to be so so free. And that's why I remember I always dreamt about flying like the birds. Wow. And I even, yeah. you've listened to my TED Talk, so you know that I told my teacher that I wanted to learn how to fly and that she told me then it was a nice dream, but I needed to learn how to be more realistic in life. But I don't, I don't think that I, I think that it's, it's normal for kids to want to learn how to fly. A lot of kids, they dream about flying for sure. But I took that dream and, you know, brought that dream with me every step of the way. And I just never left it. And I was just studying the birds. I was like trying to make little, you know, wings to jump off of the terrace. I did everything, you know, to try and learn how to fly. But since my dad came from a, a skiing community and we had a cabin in the mountains and we dedicated every, you know, spare moment to go skiing, flying became kind of a side effect. I had to put that aside for many years and I, I got the freedom through free skiing and big mountain skiing and we were powder skiing with my dad. And this kind of, you know, took it one step at the time. And I remember I got my first sponsor contract at the age of 17. And at that point, I um, I don't really think that I got that sponsor contract because I was the best skier. And to be honest with you, I know I was not the best skier. But I, I think that I got that contract because I was always so passionate. You know, I always gave it all. And then again, I never quit. I never stopped. I just continued to push and to evolve and to develop. And I think that they saw this in me. And so then little by little, all of those sponsor contracts, they started getting bigger. And eventually I could just, I don't know, travel out into the world and, and follow my heart and follow my passion and do what I loved. Yeah, but I, I remember I actually, I didn't dare to um, to just gamble it all on being, you know, a ski bum. So I actually... I actually studied computer science and I actually got my first job. <laughs> I'm laughing now, but I got my first job with uh, as a database programmer for the government. Wow. <laughs> yes. And it was, uh, I mean, it was a great job. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and it was definitely a job that was, you know, well paid at the time. And it was a safe job, 100% safe. And so in many ways, I thought, you know, this is, the way that you have to live your life. I mean, this is what it's expected of me. And so I got into this job and I did my work and did everything that I was expected to. And I felt so alienated. You know, I entered that office and I think that for me, my colleagues, I mean, they lived in such a different world than I did. And for, for them, I was probably an alien to them as well, you know, with my dreams and my visions and everything that I did in my spare time. And so it didn't take long before I was just really unhappy. 
I had never felt more unhappy in my life. And I didn't understand, I mean, what was wrong with me. Because I had everything that you could wish for in life. I mean, I had a, at that time, I had a nice boyfriend. I had an apartment and I had a well-paid, safe job. So, I mean, what else would you want? I mean, my life was complete, right? But still, I couldn't feel happy. So I felt almost like, you know, ungrateful. And then I realized suddenly that I was now, I was just living the kind of life that I thought was expected of me from the outside world. But that life, that life was never going to make me happy. And at that moment, I realized that I needed to make a change. And I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I didn't have anything or have anywhere to go. But I, I understood that I could, for myself, I could live with making a mistake. I could live with failing. I could live with making the wrong choice. But what I wouldn't be able to live with was to regret the fact that I hadn't dared to try. So not to dare, that would haunt me for the rest of my life. So at that moment, I decided to jump. So I walked into my boss's office and just, I don't know, I thanked him for the opportunity that he had given me. But I also, or the lesson that he has taught me, but I also told him that I needed to follow my heart. And so when I closed the door to his room or to his office that day, I poof, I don't think I had anywhere to go. But at least I had a very clear destination ahead of me or where, yeah. where I wanted. Yeah. And then and that's when it started. Yeah, because I, I think I talked to a lot of other athletes about this, about often you don't know how the path is looking like, but you have this like clear vision of how you want it to look like. And I don't know. And I think it's the same for me. And somehow you you just make it work, right? Because you're so passionate about something and your vision is so crystal clear that this is where you want to get to. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think also it's, it's, I mean, a lot of people that I talk to, they don't really know where they are going or where they want to go. They haven't really, they might not even have a clear vision about that, but at least they know what they don't want. And sometimes mm -hmm. that is an easier step or an easier place to, to begin. You, you know what you don't want. So you can at least close that door behind you. I knew I did not want this. I wanted something else. So by closing that door, I was forced into finding a different way. And maybe I would have, you know, tried out a different path and that would have been the wrong path too. But then again, I could have stopped and got back and, and chose another, a, a second path. And, you know, mm -hmm. I think that's how we try to figure out about our lives, you know, because sometimes we don't know what is right for us. But at least we're going to feel it. We're going to notice if it's wrong. And that's probably our most important lesson. Because it's yeah. we can't really make any wrong choices in life. We can't make wrong choices. The only wrong choice we can do is to stay with the wrong decision and stay miserable. Because mm -hmm. let's say I make the wrong choice. I choose the wrong job. I can even choose the wrong partner. I can always go back. I can always choose yeah. another job. I can always choose another partner or no partner. But if I stay miserable in that job or with that partner for the entire life, that's the only way I can make a wrong choice. So I think we need to tell ourselves this. I mean, again and again, at least I need to tell myself that because 
we're so focused on making the right decisions for ourselves. But we don't know if it's the right decision until we've tried. So we just need to try. Mm. And then if it's the wrong place for us, all right. Good good, yeah. good that you figured it out. You can go exactly. back and good try that you again. Tried. Yeah. Mm. Otherwise, yeah. you would never have known. I think that's a, that's a really good good advice and that's definitely something I try to live by as well and to go back to the story so from there you walked out of the office and then was it here that you started the base jumping and you got into that no uh this was actually when I started uh just skiing professionally so I was actually skiing professionally for a few years before I even got into base jumping And uh, at this point, I was skiing. Uh, I had sponsors. I had a, I was sponsored by a ski company, clothing company, goggles. You know, I had everything. Even got a little bit of money, not like any big amounts, but I could get by somehow. And I was, uh, you know, skiing for or filming for ski movies and and kind of living my dream. You know, already really enjoying my life. And then I still had this dream you know about flying and for my birthday i think it was my uh what could it have been 20th birthday i got a skydive from my best friends just as a birthday like a tandem because they knew that i had that passion but at the time you know since i was a professional skier but i had a very very limited budget i spent all my money you know skiing So I couldn't, and, and getting this skydiving license that I knew that I needed in order to start flying, that was so expensive. So I couldn't afford it. But then I got that tandem jump as a birthday present. And a tandem is fairly expensive too. And I remember I thought, all right, I'm never going to jump a tandem. But what I'll do is I'll take that tandem jump and I'll trade it. I'll put it into the course. And then I already had a little bit of the course, you know, of the of the budget of it. And then I took that course and I think, I don't know, maybe I just finished the course and I can't even tell you how many base, uh, skydives I had. And then I got into the base jumping. I had definitely way fewer jumps than you're supposed to have when you get into base jumping. But I remember I did not, get into skydiving because I wanted to skydive. The only reason I got into skydiving was to justify and learn how I could actually fly my body in there so that I could jump off a cliff. And then I realized obviously later how important the skydiving is. And then I took the skydiving seriously and obviously started loving it as well. But from the get-go, uh, that wasn't my intention. And then I actually, I was lucky or I was fortunate because I met a professional base jumper. His name's Jeb Corliss. And uh, he was a professional base jumper at the time. He was, I don't know, everything that I thought base jumping was about, probably. He um, he was passionate. He was a, He's a very, very good storyteller. Um, and he had been all over the world, you know, base jumping. And he was explaining, he was talking about base jumping, and he just got me drawn into this world. And I was like, like loving every second of it. And so I told him, like I told my teacher, that I wanted to learn how to fly. And he said, like every American does, come to me. 
I'll teach you. <laughs> and so about a month later, I went to Los Angeles and I met up with Jeb. And I mean, I'd hardly known him for a week, but then he taught me, I came to his like him and, and his mom's mansion in Malibu. And it was just a completely different world. Like I entered his room and he just had skulls, you know, and a big snake, like a, a boa or something. And everything was black. And I mean, Jeb was in many ways, my complete opposite. You know, here I came, you know, a blonde girl from Norway, looked like the girl next door kind of girl, you know. Uh, and Jeb was just like this rah, raw, you know, brutal. He he never, like, he, he would tell me and explain every brutality about base jumping. And I was kind of like, this is a little morbid for me, Jeb. I'm not sure we should talk about all of this. And he's like, you need to know. You got to learn because you have to make your choices and make your decisions knowing that this is the possible outcome and not be naive. And I was like, all right, all right. So now we're learning. But I think it was a good, good call because for sure I was naive. I mean, coming down to the U.S., wanting to learn how to fly, I was naive. So I needed to learn that dying uh, was a possible outcome. It was uh, the worst outcome, obviously, but it could happen. And it happens even to the best of us. It wasn't just, you know, beginner's mistakes. Um, so he was kind of, you know, making me do all these or take these deliberate choices, even from the very beginning. So... He uh, brought me into base jumping, uh, but unfortunately, Jeb, he broke his ankle <laughs> on, a, on the very first jump that we did it together. So uh, I had to basically learn base jumping from him uh, through distance education. Like basically Jeb was sitting in his car with a walkie talkie and I was climbing around on the steel of the bridge where we were with the other end of the walkie-talkie. So it was, and this was something that we did in the middle of the night, and I hadn't, you know, even told him that I'm scared of the dark, so I was actually petrified. Uh, so this was kind of our way of getting into the base shopping community, and it was scary, it was petrifying, and I loved every second of it. So uh, it was... Uh, it was definitely a brutal start, but yeah, I think at least I had to really dig deep within myself to figure out if this was something that I wanted to dedicate my life to. And the answer was clear, loud and clear. It was a big, big yes from the bottom of my heart. This was the answer to my dream. This was me flying, taking the leap off the bridge or of anything, any object. And this was this was me feeling free, getting free from, I don't know, all the, probably the thoughts, the issues that we create in our own mind. And I needed to feel complete somehow. I needed to feel like I could control my fears. I could control life and death which is probably our strongest fear. And if I could control my strongest fear, 
then everything else became so mundane and small in comparison. And that's what gave me the self-esteem that I needed to, I don't know, to handle my everyday life, I guess. Yeah, that's amazing. And then from there, because, you know, what you're also talking about is then after this, you had a really big accident. And so from here, like how long was were you living that life until the accident happened and then maybe if you can walk us through what happened here yeah you know i i lived in that dream life dream world that i was in Mm -hmm. uh it probably for six years and throughout Mm -hmm. these those six six years i mean my career my life everything was just skyrocketing you know like uh, got sponsored by red bull i had you know north face international i mean i had Dynastar Internet, like all kinds of companies. And just, I had helicopters, private planes in my backyard. We were filming, you know, traveling from one location to another, walking on red carpets, you know, to our own movie premiere, signing autographs, just kids with stars in the rise. I mean, this was a dream world, you know, and mm-hmm. I was just on fire. And then I remember there was this one day, uh, it was, I think it was World Cup in Paragliding. It was in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. It's a small uh, village called Lausanne. No, um, uh, uh, what's it called? Villeneuve. Uh, Lausanne was a different... I was in Villeneuve. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a huge, huge show. And I was coming straight from another filming job. And I remember, for me, it felt like almost a small vacation to come there. And I was just going to... This was not even a base jump. I was going to jump out of an airplane and just mm. make a show together with my really good friends. I was there with Geraldine Fasnacht. I was there with lots of my friends. And I had Seb Colongro. I had all people that I loved. So it was just a get together uh, for us. And we were gonna have fun, jump, entertain. Mm-hmm. And we were flying all of the Saturday and on every jump that we did, we got better performing. We flew closer to each other and we just kind of playing in the air, you know, flying side by side. And then this was Sunday morning and I, we had been out Saturday night, uh, just really enjoying our time. Everything was just such a perfect vibe. And I even had met my future boyfriend at the time. Uh, and I'd been flirting and was just really high, you know, just like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that morning, uh, it had just rained. So it was one of those mornings when, you know, the clouds are really low, but they're scattered. So you kind of fly in between the clouds. And we flew mm-hmm. up towards the sky. And I just, I was sitting there in the airplane, looking out of the window and just thinking, ah, you know, I must be the luckiest girl ever. I mean, I'm living my dream life. I I, I could have wished for anything more, you know. Mm-hmm. This was my life. Yeah. And I was just big smiles and we had, you know, high fives, poor jokes inside the airplane. I mean, for us, this was nothing to be worried about, nothing to be nervous about. We had done this so many times before. Mm-hmm. And we got ready. We jumped out of the airplane And I was flying with a camera on my helmet so that I could film the others in the air. And we flew side by side. And as I flew by my friend Geraldine, I could see her smile, you know, in the air. And I was like, yes, you know, it's a perfect jump. And then 
it was time to release the the parachute and just land, you know, uh, safely on that grassy field in front of those spectators. And I remember as I opened the chute, I could hear, I could hear the clapping. Mm-hmm. I heard the shouts from the thousands of spectators underneath me because they were just ecstatic. And for me, I just let out a scream of just, you know, pure happiness. I was like, boo! And just a split second later, I realized that something had gone wrong because I had a malfunction in my parachute. I had a knot that tangled my lines. It's called a tension Mm -hmm. knot. Mm -hmm. And I remember that the first thought that I had was just a, you know, I'll fix it, you know? Yeah. And then soon, I mean, the rotation speed was soon over almost a hundred kilometers per hour because it goes so quickly that you're like spinning next to the your, your parachute. And I was dangling almost like a rag doll underneath. And I remember I tried to pull my arms up to just try to cut. We have a knife on a parachute, try to cut away the knot. But I couldn't even lift my arms because I was so, it was so heavy. And the mm-hmm. knot was huge. So there was nothing I could do. And I remember that I thought that I have lost friends in exactly this way. Mm. And somehow I I understood that I was going to die the same way. <laughs> and I remember I think it just it just felt stupid, you know? I mean, this was a skydive from an yeah. airplane. I had done so many dangerous things in my life and then I was just going to die in a skydive from a plane? Mhm. And I don't think it was about the fact that dying scared me because I'd never been scared of dying, but I didn't want to die. I mean, because I was so passionate about my life. I mean, I I loved every aspect of my life. I didn't want to die. So I think that I fought with every bit of my body to survive because I was so afraid of, I did not want to die. Mm-hmm. And so I remember I tried to counter steer with my body and I tried to lean in or do whatever. And I realized no matter what I did, nothing really changed anything. And so the last mm-hmm. thing that I did before I hit the ground, I was just like, you know, brace for impact. And then mm-hmm. I hit the ground and I remember that it all just turned black. Yeah. And I know that I, I mean, from, I've been told that I, I hit the ground with, more than 100 kilometers per hour and when i hit the ground i hit this huge rock when i Mm -hmm. impacted and that rock it stopped me i had an immediate stop and it was actually what saved my life because when you're if you're crashing on the ground with such a speed spiraling in you're gonna fall and you're gonna tremble you know uh, mm-hmm. And you're going to break your back, you're going to injure your head, and you're 100% dead. But this mm-hmm. rock where I impacted, it crushed everything that I had from my hips and down. I had four fractures in my left femur. Uh, I had two broken knees. And I had 21 open fractures in my right side. Because of that rock, I saved my back and I saved my head. And that's the only reason I was still alive. Yeah, it's so crazy like now, like just hearing it from you again, it's such a crazy story. And just, you know, just hearing you tell it, like give me goosebumps all over my body. Um, it is a crazy and, story. And and then 
from there, obviously, you know, you got to the hospital and and how long till you like woke up and kind of notice like, okay, I'm actually alive and what's going on now? Yeah. Um, well, it actually, I didn't, I, it took me two days before I woke up. I had lost almost four liters of blood. And uh, for those of you who know a little bit of anatomy, there's not much more to lose. Uh, so I think yeah. the task was all about just saving my life. Yeah. And I woke up two days later and, and then I woke up at the hospital in, in Lausanne. And I don't think that I immediately was just grateful for being alive because for me, I was, um, I, I, I expected to be alive. You know, I had been injured so many times that I was kind of used to waking up in hospitals. So it didn't really scare me in any way. So I don't think I realized the, the, the gratitude of that accident until a doctor entered my room right after I had woken up and I was just all by myself. And he, he just told me that, you know, was babbling on about infections in my body and, you know, how they had managed to keep my right leg until further notice. And I just remember what, what is he talking about? You know, And then he just finished off with his conclusion. He said that you are severely injured. You are never going to walk again. Mm. And I think that at that moment, that's when I realized that this was an accident that was going to change my life forever. Mm -hmm. That this was maybe an accident that I'm not going to be able to get back up from. And I, it hit me just like, boom, out of nowhere. And I just remember, I mean, that doctor, he stood there and I just looked at him. I didn't say a word. I didn't ask him a single question. I, and I, I, can, I can even remember, I wanted to cry, but I don't think I even managed to cry. I didn't, I was just paralyzed. And then he, funny enough, he just kind of turned around and walked away. And he was kind of already on his way to the next patient and, and just, you know, slamming the door. And there I was just laying there in my hospital bed all by myself after getting the shock of my life. And that's when I started crying because it felt like at that moment, he just kind of, I don't know, he shut the door to my life. Mm -hmm. He took everything from you. Like, I guess that was like, yeah, I mean, he took it. I mean, this was my job, obviously. This was, you know, my income. Yeah. This was all my my community, all my friends. Every We were all doing this together. But I think that even more importantly, apart from that, I mean, this was, this was my identity. This was who I was. Mm -hmm. And this was my tool for handling my life, you know? Mm -hmm. What was yeah. I going to do if I couldn't do this anymore? I, I was scared. I was, yeah. I couldn't see a light at the end of that tunnel because I didn't know. I felt like I was so dependent on a functional body. Mm -hmm. And what was going to happen with my friends? I mean, what was going to happen with me, my life? Was I ever going to get a family? Was I doomed for life? Mm. I mean, there were so many questions and so many thoughts and there were no answers um, mm -hmm. and, and it broke me, mm -hmm. shattered me completely, naturally. Yeah, of course. 
but then I also know that also we talked about that already that you have you know a strong mentality and a clear vision of where you want it to go and from there doctor telling you you're never going to be able to walk again but as we see now, now you're skiing, you're walking, you're <laughs> surfing together, you know. Take um, a look at me okay. now, Doc. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. It's like, I'm going to prove you wrong. Was that kind of <laughs> Yeah, like but that's the, the thing. That's the thing, Amelia, because I think that what that doctor did, to me, that was the best thing he could have ever done. Because telling me that you're not going to be able to walk again, that was a trigger for me. Because the after I kind of finished crying and, you know, kind of it sank in a little bit, that's when that little devil woke up inside of me. And that devil was like, who's going to tell me what I am capable of or not? At least I'm not going to give up without a try or without mm -hmm. a fight. And so I, I think that actually that was the best thing that could have ever happened because I was now dedicated to spend all my energy to prove him wrong. Yeah. Because he didn't know who I was. <laughs> and in, a, in many ways, I would say that I was really well prepared for this accident. Because, I mean, I had trained all my life, you know, to become a professional athlete. So I knew what it would take to train really, work out hard. I had been, you know, on trips uh, in Alaska in Mali, in Africa, I'd been, you know, isolated from the world where there's no connection with anybody for weeks and weeks and months. So I knew how it was or how it would feel to be isolated. And that's how you feel when you're in rehab. In a way, you're isolated from the world yeah. or in hospitals. So in many ways, I think I was really well prepared. And maybe yeah. that really helped me into now attacking this new challenge, this new task. Because I remember that he told me I was never going to be able to walk again. And I knew how important it is to set goals for yourself. But for me, learning how to walk, I mean, to be honest with you, it didn't give me the, you know, didn't give me any passion didn't give me any shivers, you know, it didn't give me any emotions. I mean, walking, anybody can walk. I couldn't walk, but I mean, most people can walk. Yeah. I needed something bigger, you know, I needed, I needed a dream. I needed something that could trigger my emotions that make me want to get up in the morning. Some, something that made me want to walk that extra mile or at least work. I couldn't walk, but for me, it was about coming back to my mountains, coming back to my passion, coming to back to my identity of who I was. And that, that was going to make me want to get up in the morning. So that became my goal, that I wanted to come back to skiing, come back to big mountain skiing, and uh, yeah, come back to my passion. Mm -hmm. Wow. But it was obviously a long way to go, because at that moment, uh you know, I couldn't even sit upright in my wheelchair for an entire meal that lasted about five minutes before I had to go rest. So, I mean, this vastness uh, of my goal, it can obviously um, demoralize you or demotivate you because it's so huge. And so I set that goal to give me a direction because mm -hmm. if I had a direction, 
it would make it easier for me to make more deliberate choices every day. But then I put that goal aside. I didn't really focus on it anymore. It wasn't like I was thinking about skiing every day. Uh, but now I was just focusing on the little chores, the little tasks, the little goals, the everyday goals. And, and I had to break it down to one day at a time. Because by doing so, it didn't feel so overwhelming anymore. And every day, one day at a time, I could handle one day at a time. But to be able to handle all those years that it actually took me to come back to skiing, that would have been way too much to, to, yeah. to grasp. So I had yeah. to take it step by step and go baby stepping. And that's a little bit like coming back to almost what you said in the beginning, you know, with your experience with your mom and learning to be in the present and focus on that. Is it, I, Because what I also wanted to tell you is like kind of what role did your mindset play in your recovery? And I guess that was a really big part of it, having that mindset to be like, okay, every day is, is a new goal. and and But then you knew you had a bigger goal. Yeah, absolutely. But I also think that that mindset and coming back to my mom because my mom is I mean I have not met anyone more positive more optimistic with more hope than she has I mean she's been living in institutions ever since I was four years old I mean so basically almost yeah now like my entire life she's been living in institutions and she to be honest with you her life's not really that great um but she's always positive. She always yeah. has a smile on her face. She has poor jokes. You know, she has a good laugh. Always. And to witness her and grow up with her mindset, uh, it she has become a role model for me on how mm -hmm. it is facing challenges and how you can cope with it with having a positive mindset. Because she has shaped her life. and. I mean, obviously, she wouldn't. She would have wanted to live somewhere else. She wouldn't have wanted this accident ever for to happen to her. But she has created the best life she can possibly have, and that's what I brought with me now into the, my rehab session. And yeah. so I realized that there was so much negativity going on. There was so much, you know, bad things happening to me. So if or if I was ever going to be able to stay positive or find any kind of optimism in this, I need to force myself into finding those little moments of joy, those little moments of grateful or, or happiness, you know, in my everyday life. And so I brainwashed myself in a good way. So every night before I went to bed, I asked myself, what are the three things that I'm grateful for today? And I, I found those little moments, you know, like maybe I had been, one day I'd been, they rolled me out into the snow and I was just sitting there in my wheelchair being snowed on and I watched the snowflakes as they fell gently towards the ground. I mean, that was one of those moments. It wasn't those big things, you know, I am... Uh, still alive and you know I have a good family it wasn't those things it was the little moments and so what happened with me was that when I went to bed I felt like I had a good day 
But if you had looked at my day from a bigger perspective, it wasn't that much positive going on. But that's not how I felt it. And that gave me, like, it, it really balanced out a really negative day. But let's say I did have a good day. Then by doing that task at night, it kind of made those good moments grow even bigger yeah. so that they would take up more place in my mind, more space. And so doing this task, uh, like going for hunting for the good, is what I like to call it, uh, it really helped me go through the worst of my struggles. And I use this tool even today. I use it with my kids. I ask them every, every day, what are the three best things that have happened today? And I ask them why. And I use it with my boyfriend. And it's one of the greatest tools that I have actually learned because it makes us so grateful. And it's so easy to take all these things for granted. And I think that we all need to be reminded of the good things that happen because our, our mind is just kind of negatively wired. So we need to help it a little bit to bring us back to the moments of joy and moments of happiness. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I think that's a really good advice. And because actually my next question was if you had like an advice for people going through something. And I think yeah. this is already a really good advice to, you know, <laughs> Instead of focusing on the negative stuff, it's uh, focusing on the little positive and the little wins you can have every day. As you say, if you break it down and you say, okay, well, today I managed to sit up for 10 minutes and that's, you know, the win for today. And then that win, I guess, start getting bigger and bigger. And, yeah. and that's really important, Amelia, what you're just talking about now. To, to even yeah. celebrate those little wins and, and to see them, you know. Yeah, exactly. And pat yourself and, on the shoulder. Yeah. And I think, you know, also because then, you know, you recovered for the accident, you you managed to get back to the mountains, which, you know, is amazing. How many years did that take you to get back to the mountains? Uh, it took me about five years of, of training, yeah, to get back to the mountains and get back to my powder skiing. But I, I actually have one tool that I can share with you in addition to this gratitude or hunting for the good and the little wins. Uh, And it, I think it's about uh, focusing on your strengths. Focus on the things that you master. Focus on the things that you're good at. And that's what I had to do because there were so many things that I no longer could do. Like I couldn't be out skiing, you know, with my friends. I could have been scared or nervous or afraid because I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to walk again. But I couldn't focus on thoughts like that. So I decided to focus on the things that I mastered, like putting my socks on you know, all by myself on both of my feet, you know, the little things. Um, and I think this is really important in our everyday life today as well. Try to focus. I focus on my strengths. My strengths are probably different than yours, Emilia. And yeah. you have strengths that are different from mine. But what we tend to do is that we always compare ourselves. So I compare my weaknesses with your strengths. And you do exactly the same. And that always makes me feel bad. But we're not supposed to compare each other with or compare ourselves with each other. We are supposed to complement each other. So my strengths, they will complement yours. And the worst thing is that what I tend to do is that I compare my inner state, my inner sensations, my inner emotions with your outer appearance. 
And we all know from Instagram and social media that our outer appearance has no root in reality, has nothing to do with reality. It's a short glimpse of our peak performance or our best moments or our best looks. And yes, it's a part of us. And we are proud of it. And I love the fact that we share it because I like sharing successes and happiness and good moments. But we have to just remind ourselves that that is not the entire you or entire me. So we need to stop comparing our inner self with other people's outer appearance. And we need to stop comparing ourselves in general. So just focus Mm -hmm. on what we're good at focus on my strengths and focus on what I master and do more of exactly that because I can probably get even better at what I'm already good at and that's going to give me a self-esteem that I need in order to even if I want to attack and get better at the things that I'm not good at so we need that self-esteem and then we need to talk ourselves up instead of talking ourselves down and to to do self-affirmations, like tell yourself, you know, how strong you are, how good you are, uh, that, you know, looking for the things that you want to see in life, that's going to make you see more of exactly that. And that is probably one of the most important things uh, that I use today is to choose my focus, choose what I want to see more of. I want to see how I succeed. I want to see how I master. I want to see the moments when I'm a good mom. I want to see my kids when they're happy and good and they're not fighting, you know, and they're actually having harmony and and in good, you know, a good atmosphere. I want to see when they're grateful. I want to see, you know, all the good things. But if I constantly look for what moments when I'm stressed, moments when I'm not performing my best, moments when my kids are fighting, moments when I fail at my job, moments where I don't succeed at what I want, then that's what I'm going to see more of. You see the difference? It's all about what we're programming ourselves to look for. Because what we look for, we're going to find. But that doesn't mean that it's in the entire truth. That's a very good advice. I feel very inspired right now. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, like, because, you know, I think also with the path I'm on right now, like I've started working for myself. And and sometimes you get a little bit stuck in, oh, you know, I didn't get that. I didn't, you know, this person is doing that good. Or, you know, instead of just uh, coming back to yourself, as you say, and, just focus on, hey, I'm really good at this, so I'm going to do more of that. Or, um, so, yeah, I think for me that's very inspiring to hear, actually, and especially the where I am right now. But we all need to be reminded of this, Amelia. Yeah. That's the thing. Because we, yeah. and it, you know, this comes from a good place that we, we want to evolve and develop, you know. So the, the whole, the criticism towards ourselves, ourselves it comes from a good place. Mm-hmm. But we don't need it. So mm-hmm. we need to help ourselves because it doesn't make us feel good. So that's why I think that you should ask yourself after every interview like we're doing now or whenever you do whatever you do, ask yourself what went well, WWW, what went well, and that's answer right. that, what went well, because that's yeah. all you need to know. Yeah. And then do more of that, do more of what well, what goes well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's what makes you unique 
at what yeah. you do. Mm. And you're just oh, going to be you. Yeah. No, I really, I really like that. I think uh, that's uh, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you. And now, like, um, just here in the end, because I put, like, a little um, Q&A on Instagram, and I got a few questions, and I just choose two questions that we maybe can just uh, answer, answer really quick, if, if it's okay, if we still have time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So um, one of the uh, questions for one of the listeners was, if you have an advice for someone who just started pursuing their, their dream and following their heart. Right. An advice. Well... If you just started pursuing your dream, I think it's about having faith and and just, you know, continuing on that path towards that dream. Because a lot of times we start that path and we think that our dream is going to happen immediately, you know, in an instant, because we have now set our goals or set our eyes on that goal. But then when it doesn't happen in the first six months or first year or even second or third we think that we're not capable, that we can't do it. But it doesn't mean that we can't do it. It just hasn't happened yet. It just We just haven't found the right way to make it happen yet. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to have that resilience to not give up, to not quit. You know, mm-hmm. fail. Learn from your mistakes because we're going to fail. But failing is the best thing we can do because that's equivalent to learning. And that's the only way we can get better. So I like to tell my kids that, you know, whenever they fall, whenever they crash and they like, especially at summer when they need a plaster because they have a wound, they get a, like they're counting points for every time because they get better <laughs> at what they're doing. And in yeah. many ways, we can think about this mentality for ourselves that every time we fail, we learn. So I think the most important um advice in reaching your goal is obviously have a clear vision about what is your goal and you need to make sure that that your goal is attainable that it is possible to measure so that you know whether you've succeeded or not but you can also make your goal a value you know and then knowing then it's not like something that you achieve that is black or white it's it's more like a value of who you want to be or become. Uh, but having that goal and knowing exactly what you want gives you a clear destination, which is good. And then just never give up, never stop pursuing your dream. Because one important lesson is that you don't fail unless you quit. So until you've quit, you haven't failed. You're just on your path and it take hasn't happened yet. That is a great advice. Thank you. Um, that's definitely something I'll keep in mind because I feel like right now I'm I, I, like this listener like asked this question, but I was like, okay, this is definitely this question could also have come from me. So, so uh, yeah, so that's amazing. Um, <laughs> and then I also got a few like messages just of people like answering the box saying, "Tell Karina that she." I don't know if she realized how much of an impact she has on people's lives. There was like a few people oh. saying that. So, so, yes. Um, oh, no. Oh, I get really emotional. <laughs> Is it true? Thank you. Yeah. No, give them um, a big hug from me and, yeah. and say thank you. And probably I don't. <laughs> but it makes no. me really happy to hear still. 
yeah no I definitely know that you have because you had that on me as well and and then there's just one listener to ask like what is next for, for you and you know you have like some different projects you're, you're a successful keynote speaker you have your happy young minds and um, I think that's correct, right? Happy young, young happy minds. It, young happy minds. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. And um, so there was just uh, one listener that asked, "What is like kind of next for you? If there's anything you want to share?" Yeah. Uh, it's funny because I've been asked that a few times, and I think that my goals are different now from what they used to be. Because, I mean, I have two boys now. They're eight and nine years old, and so I grew up without having a mom present in my life. And so I think that my most important task right now is to be there for them and be present with them uh, and play with them and be a part of their life. doesn't mean that I'm going to be there all the time. I mean, I'm traveling the world and I'm constantly, you know, on projects. But my most important task is to be there for them and to love them unconditionally so that they don't feel or have the urge or need to jump off of a cliff in order to feel good enough. So I think that's a pretty big task. So I I think I need to be full on with that. But apart from that, when it comes to my job, I'm the kind of person who likes to say yes to challenges. So it's kind of like I don't really devote myself to one path and one path only. I want to do a little bit of everything. So now I've said yes to a TV project that I'm doing where I'm a mentor and I'm challenging myself in that aspect and I love it. And now I want to develop that because it means that I can actually help more people through the television because I'm doing mentoring and coaching and, you know, talking to these people and I love it. And it's really scary as well because, I mean, the risk of failing or risk of maybe not being liked is very high and uh, but I feel like it's very meaningful to do it so I want to do that and I don't know I'm also actually going to do a podcast this uh, fall Uh, yes so uh, from a completely different angle but still so maybe you can teach me a couple of tips then so I don't know I don't have any like like major life goals right now Mm-hmm. It's more about the little goals that I set for myself uh, from year to year. So my life is life goal is about my kids. Yeah, of course. Just the last question. That's one of my questions that I ask all my guests because I think, you know, that's something I always like to hear about. And that's what is your morning routine? Because I think for me, uh, starting the day good is like, as we talk about having these small wins, so starting the day good is like always, already a little win in the day and it sets me up for a good day so I always think it's interesting to hear about other people's morning routines I don't know if you are okay to share no that's so that's so important and that's so good that you're mentioning it because it really is and I notice if I don't have a good morning routine I mean I feel so much worse uh so my morning routine uh starts like this right now I get up at six uh, in the morning. I go straight down. Uh, I have a workout. And just to say that I don't do my bed in the morning because normally I have two kids in my bed together with me. So when I wake up, I'm using a split second, a couple of seconds to just kind of enjoy their warmth and waking up with them next to me and just 
getting that feeling that, you know, this isn't going to stay last forever. This is a moment that I had to take it in and embrace it and enjoy it for as long as it lasts. And so far, I still have them in my bed in the morning. Um, And then I leave that nice warm bed, go down uh, in my basement where I have a gym. And these days, uh, now due to some knee issues, uh, I'm rowing. So now I row um, 5,000 meters, uh, which is not, you know, super long. Uh, And then I do a little bit of stretching and a little bit of, um, you know, just stomach core things. Um, Sometimes Mm -hmm. I do yoga. Uh, but right now I'm out of the yoga and doing just uh, stretching and, and core. Uh, but sometimes I also just do yoga without the rowing uh, and do like half an hour of yoga. So I, I try to do something every morning, like a, a half hour training session and stretching. And then I uh, take a quick shower. I come back down and my kids are still not awake and then now, since it's summer, I take either a coffee cup or a teacup and I sit outside uh, in the sun or just on my terrace and I just sit quietly and uh, think about what I look forward to today. And uh, that makes me, you know, have that quiet moment where I could reflect a little bit and then I go up yeah. and wake up my kids. Yeah. And it makes me really peaceful and you know, just happy waking up my kids yeah. then. Yeah. And so they can wake up with any kind of mood, you know. Most times they're really happy and, and cheerful. But, of course, sometimes they wake up, maybe they're tired or had a bad dream. And then I have a lot of patience inside of me because I had a good morning. So it really makes a big difference for me to have that calm, peaceful morning instead of rushing, you know, out the door or stressing about it. So, yeah. It makes all the difference to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's always so nice to hear about the, how people start their day because I think also just being like, I have like mostly athletes on the podcast and everybody have, you know, also when I also sometimes ask them about mental health tips or what they do for their mental health and people just always mention their morning routine because it's something yeah. that's just so like important for them and their, their mental health. Um, so yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um And What's then, your morning routine, Emilia? My morning routine, it's actually a bit similar. Like I always do like a workout in the morning. I, I train uh, MMA three times a week. Um, you do? So, yeah. So, yes. It's, I love it. It's, yeah, it's, I love it. It's uh, it's really great. So I do that. It, it starts at 7. So I get up at 6.30, go to class. And then after I often jump in the ocean, actually, just uh, have a little little swim or do some cold water like breathing. I'm really like getting into the cold water swimming, actually. I'm really enjoying that um, and learning more and more about it and the benefits and the breathing. And uh, yeah, and if I don't jump in the ocean, I have a cold shower. And then I have my breakfast and my coffee after the training. And the days where I don't train MMA, I either go for a surf in the morning or I go for a long walk. So I always, mm. you know, yeah, also get up around six six thirty and just get some exercise done, and then yeah, so it's also just start peaceful. I try not to look at my phone for the first at least hour, um, where I still have it like on sleep mood because I feel like sometimes if I put my phone on and there's emails or messages, I just quickly get like you know stuck in my head, or you suddenly think about things that you shouldn't be thinking about at seven a.m. <laughs> um, so yeah. 
think that's kind of my morning routine, but that's also something that's like so important for me. I love my morning routine. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know what? Um, this uh, uh, Harvard professor in positive psychology, he's called Tal Ben-Shahar. He says that if he was to give one advice for mental health, uh, for feeling, for happiness, you know, feeling happiness, he said it would be exercise, exercise more, get out in the nature, go exercising. Wow. And that's like his number one health advice for mental yeah. health. What I can only imagine is that turn to sport and that's what always makes me feel better. No matter if it's surfing or running or biking or whatever it is, it always just makes me feel good, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, you're so yeah. right. But thank you so much. It was really, really interesting to hear your stories and I feel like there's so many good advice and yeah, I just can't wait to to share this with, um, with the listeners and um and just in the end if anybody want to like hear more about your follow like you and your projects where can they do that uh they can either you know go and check out my website at www.karinaholikim.com they can follow me on instagram obviously at karinaholikim um they um can watch my talks i have a ted talk that is out um they have i have movies 20 seconds of joy uh fatima's hand uh will like of steel i have several movies out there so yeah do a quick search Maybe you can, my name yeah or you can i can, or you can send me the links and then i can link I to can them send in the you podcast the yeah yeah for sure i was very very grateful to be able to mm-hmm. be part of your uh, podcast here And, uh, you know, what I really enjoyed about this podcast was that you are very, you know, you're, you're listening, you're very attentive to the story and what we're talking about. So it's not like you've scripted all your questions and you need to follow your questions in order for this to be a smooth conversation. You've just kind of danced along with me and had your own reflections and uh that's what my uh, answer to what went well today oh thank you that's so nice to hear because uh, yeah of course i always try to you know have some questions but i also you know i also wanted to be like more just of a smooth conversation and kind of see where it takes us and and i thought it was very nice and we definitely you know we get in and talk about some really really interesting things and i think some really interesting advice that that I'm going to go out and use now, that's for sure. <laughs> so that's, that good. Really nice. that's good. Yeah. No, thank you so Perfect. much, Karina. 